I've never seen higher education having to look more deeply into its purpose than ever before. Hello and welcome to KPMG's Talking Tertiary podcast, where we reimagine tertiary education for a changing world. I'm Stephen Parker, KPMG's education sector leader in Australia. In this year's series, I'm particularly interested in talking to people who are at the forefront of change in tertiary education, as a thinker, a manager, even a business owner. I'm gathering views from inside and outside the formal tertiary sector on topics such as impending disruption, new business and delivery models, new types of institution and new government policies, any of which could upend the traditional way of doing things. I'm delighted today to speak to Professor Claire Macken. Claire has had a career-long connection with education. She began as a legal academic at Deakin University, has been Pro-Vice-Chancellor Future Learning and Innovation at La Trobe University, and is now a professor at RMIT University in Melbourne, working with RMIT online. However, Claire has spent time outside of formal education. For four years, she worked at Apple as the Higher Education Strategy Lead for Australia and New Zealand. She then joined KPMG, working in our education consulting team. Despite the fact that she left us for RMIT, I have decided to be adult about it all and to seek her views, as she is one of the leading thinkers about disruption and change in education, with a strong interest in the role of technology. Professor Macken, welcome back to KPMG and thank you for talking tertiary with me. Thanks, Stephen. Awesome to be here. I'd like to come to the big question directly, disruption. Looking at some other sectors in the economy, such as telcos, real estate, publishing, entertainment, media, transport, one can say that there really has been disruption. And what seems to have happened is that technology, competition and new business models have combined to put traditional ways of working to the sword. Big names have disappeared, new entrants have become household names quite quickly, and so the reality in these sectors has been transform or die. But most of my guests on Talking Tertiary have been cautious about claiming that anything like this will happen in education. The flavour has been one more of evolution, a, a glide path. Where do you stand on all this? Love it. So I think I'm pretty far on the realm that there is disruption in higher education. So if you think about it, at the moment, I've never seen higher education having to look more deeply into its purpose Mm -hmm. than ever before. And there's a lot of analysis of what is it that actually universities do in society? And can that actually be replaced by something else? And so maybe a corporate or maybe industry can fulfill the function of higher education. But having said that, the word disruption actually means radically alter or destroy. And if you look at the 900-year history of higher education, it's had a remarkable ability to see the changes happening in society and adjust and try new things and spin out new models and really try to respond to what's happening around it. So I have faith that higher education is not this big lumbering fool that just comes along and bumps into things on the sides and doesn't have a look around. I think there's really smart people in higher education that are really thinking deeply about what it needs to do to respond. Okay, thank you. Well, there's plenty to follow up there. 
One of the possible evolutionary responses that we're seeing might be called the supply chain of education. In the old days in universities, the academics devised the curriculum, they drew up the syllabus, they did the teaching face-to-face, they did the marking, they provided the academic and pastoral support, and they even turned up at graduation after a bit of encouragement. Now we see universities buying in curriculum, commissioning outside instructional designers, making extensive use of sessional teachers, providing much material online, contracting out or automating the marking and so on. Is the whole model disaggregating, being unbundled? Yeah, interesting. And I just came from the most impressive graduation I've ever seen in my life (laughs) at RMIT University, complete with fireworks on a 40-degree day in a stadium with 50,000 spectators. Absolutely amazing. Um, Any academics? There were a lot of academics. In fact, every academic, I think, of all of RMIT was there yesterday. In terms of the disaggregation of higher education, it's really a hot topic at the moment. And I think if you take it to as its extreme, uh, you see university as a platform and education as a service. And, you know, is university just about providing accreditation? What actually is the function of a university what is it to do? Is it just to there to put a rubber stamp on it through an academic board or does it have a deeper function and what's the role of an academic and an expert today? Having said that, I can see that some of the services that have popped up around higher education, so the OPMs, the online program managers, and different aspects, so the type of workforce, they're all responding to a particular need in the sector and they're saying, we can do this one thing really, really well. So it's becoming a lot more sophisticated in terms of the way that higher education operates. But at the end of the day, the university has to be responsible for the type of education that it's providing and the types of quality measures and checks that it goes through. And so it has to draw that line between where does it actually let go of responsibility and allow a third party to provide that and where do they actually step in and provide that service themselves. So can I explore that a bit more? The idea of the university as a platform and education as a service. I fully take your point about the responsibility and quality. So I don't suppose one could really say a university could be a Spotify-like platform where, as far as I know, they don't form a judgment as to the quality of music and other content. But if you look at strategic sourcing organisations like the BBC, where they do some of the programmes, but they buy in other programmes, but they're all to a kind of quality standard and look and feel. Couldn't a university be like that, a strategic sourcing kind of platform? Yeah, interesting. The, I mean, the aggregation, and you're really describing university as a marketplace. Mm-hmm. So the ability to put together, say, Udacity, Udemy and Coursera courses, and then compile it in a way that might overlay a particular university's particular graduate attributes, which is a bit of an old-fashioned term nowadays, or to bring it together in a way that provides a particular experience or support for particular sorts of learners. And I think that's a legitimate role for higher education to play is how does that actually create an aggregated experience for particular sorts of learners so that they can achieve their learning outcomes 
It comes back to another massive question of higher education is what is the role of the learner mm-hmm. and how far can they dictate their learning program? So something like an open degree where you choose the subjects that you're interested in, is that valuable? So if a student has said, I'm interested in these areas and I'm making those decisions about my education, that's a very different approach to an accredited course where it's been dictated by a professional accrediting body to say you have to study these types of subjects in this sequence. And coming from law, as we both do, you know, it's a very highly regulated set of priestly 11. The curriculum itself is highly regulated. And there's a view that you actually don't know what you need to know until we teach you that. And I think that's legitimate as well. I think that there's a balance for both. So that really gets to the heart of whether students are also customers, at least in their capacity as learners. And there may be customers when they're going to buy something from a student centre and there may be patients when they go to the medical centre. But when they're actually there learning, are they customers? And it's it's an argument I sometimes have here within the firm. And my view is that students get what they deserve, what they've earned, and not necessarily what they want. Are you saying something similar, that, that there is a limit on customer centricity, if you like? Yes, I think that um, students are not customers. I think that you're right, that if they go to the medical centre on a campus, they're a patient. And if they buy something from a shop, they're a customer. But at the heart of it, education is about the amount of effort that you put in. And the assessment is the way that higher education can check that you've obtained the learning outcomes that the university has said you should obtain from a particular course of study. And if if you think about the customer relationship, and I've come from Apple, as you've said, amazing experience to work in a very customer-centric organisation. At the end of the day, when you provide money, you're provided with a product or service in return for that. In higher education, there is no amount of money that you can provide that will earn you the qualification. You have to earn it yourself. And so that's a fundamental difference between education as a product. It's not a product, it's transformation. And I think the analogy is you might aspire to have a very hot body and you might look at all of the magazines and get a lot of promises about how you get that hot body. But at the end of the day, you've actually got to commit yourself to the gym and there's no amount of external pressure that can be put on you to actually go and do that. At the end of the day, it's your decision to do that. So the function of higher education, in my view, is to set the conditions for learner engagement. And if we've done that, If we've set those conditions for learner engagement, we've done a great job. Whilst I think through that metaphor of education as body sculpting, um, (laughs) can I ask you about some of the non-university providers, some of the entrants that in the corporate world, there are some for-profit organisations that see a huge future in particularly micro-credentials, lifelong learning, but also, and I know you know something about this, Minerva um, in the United States. What are you seeing on the landscape? Yeah, seeing amazing examples of how higher education is saying we need to change to the disruption that's happening at the moment. And there's some great examples out there of higher education that's actually usually attached to university. So they're not generally sitting outside or too far from a university even professional services firms, when they're thinking about higher education, might have relationships with universities. So you mentioned Minerva, and it's close to my heart, and I'll disclose that my son is a student at Minerva in San Francisco at the moment. And this particular model of higher education is 
part of the Claremont group of schools and students who are generally younger, so between 18 and 21, maybe a bit older, and from multiple countries around the world come together to live in a campus environment. They actually study online, fully online, so they sit down at their various spots within the dorm and all log on every single day between 9 and 1 to engage in an active learning online environment with their expert professor, which is usually at the moment in the US. The types of curriculum that Minerva has is around enterprise skills or a lot around soft and hard skills, and it's equivalent to a liberal arts degree, recognising that it's quite difficult to learn soft skills outside of context. So the interesting thing with Minerva is the way that they create global citizens. So they start in San Francisco and then travel around the world for the next four years to seven different locations. So London, Berlin, Buenos Aires, into Taipei, and spend four months in each location while engaged in experiential learning in that context. So if you think about that experience for a young person, someone who's 18 or 19 years old, coming from around the world, my son is actually the only Australian in the program this year, learning from people from other countries and learning around skills. It really, if you think about the advice of the OECD that we don't know the future skills that are needed yet, we don't know the future careers. To me, that's the type of premier education that will help a young learner with their future, irrespective of what that is. And isn't that what education is about? That's fascinating. I I knew a little bit about Minerva before we spoke. I can understand that for reasonably contained size groups and people that can afford it. But what about alternatives to university at scale? Are there any developments there from the corporate or other worlds? Yeah, I think that the, I mean, another one is the equivalent to a lifelong learner. So if you think about someone who's in their their late 20s, 30s, they're looking for future-proofing their skills and they're they're not necessarily looking for career change or career motivation, but they see the world is changing and they would like to have the skills so that they can progress. At the moment, there's an absolute explosion of online. In Australia, as of a few years ago, the latest data, two years ago, one in five of all learners are fully online. And you can only imagine that increases as you're going into that bracket where the average online learner in Australia is 64% female, they're 32 years old, they've got a bachelor's degree already, they're in full-time work and they've got 1.81 children uh, as a stat, so one or two children. And those sort of people cannot afford to go to a university and give up their job. The MBA itself, not in Asia but in the US, is declining in terms of on-campus attendance. And so online universities and RMIT Online is exactly positioned in this space, are looking for the sorts of skills needed for the future of work. And that is really addressing this huge proportion of people that are saying we need to do something about our education and the online provides an opportunity. Well, Claire, it's been great to see you again. Good to hear your continued enthusiasm for innovation and disruption in education. Thank you for coming in and talking tertiary with me. Thanks, Stephen. Great to see you.
Well, that was my conversation with Professor Claire Macken from RMIT University. We talked about all kinds of disruptive trends at work in the tertiary sector at the moment, whether indeed universities would adapt to changing conditions, new forms of delivery model, new kinds of entities such as Minerva and corporate training providers. You can listen to other episodes in seasons one and two on our website, kpmg.com slash au slash talking tertiary or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening and I'll speak with you next time on Talking Tertiary. Talking Tertiary.